You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. I'm Angie, and today we're going to be talking about the largest species of cat, and of course, one of the most iconic animals on the planet. I'm really excited today to have Sonarto with me. And Sonarto is a tiger expert that works at the World Wildlife Fund in Indonesia. He has his PhD in wildlife sciences. And he's a biologist working with wildlife and landscape ecology. His specialty is working with and conserving the Sumatran tiger. He works on how the tiger is distributed, its ecology, where it likes to live and how it moves, and of course, how best to conserve them. And Sunarto has been working in tiger research in central Sumatra for years. He's authored several peer-reviewed scientific articles about the Sumatran tiger, and he's also the co-founder of the Sumatran Tiger Conservation Forum. So I'm so excited today to have Sunarto with me. Hello, Sunarto. Are you there? Can you hear me? Yes. Hello, Angie. How are you? It's really good to finally we can talk today. I know. So, yes, Sonarto and I have been working together uh, for a little bit before this interview to try to get connected because he is currently in Java in Indonesia, part of Indonesia. And the internet connection is great and really fast there. We just had some, a, a few little hiccups with my recording software, but we worked through it and now we're like old best friends. So we're going to have a <laughs> lot of fun today. <laughs> I've been, I've been waiting amazing. patiently like a little... Yeah, problems sometimes connect us. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Now, and I, but I've been dying to talk about tigers, and having an expert like you on our podcast is just such a such a treasure. Um, and we have not we've talked about lions before on the podcast, uh, but you're our first our first big cat expert, and I just cannot wait to dive into learn I you know I'm doing this more for myself so I can learn about the, <laughs> more about the tiger. <laughs> so Sunarto, I always like to ask my guests just to tell us a little bit about yourself. What is your background so our audience can get to know you? 
Well, uh, my background, I was born in uh, central Java. This, uh, you know, the island of Java also used to have tigers. Uh, even Bali uh, used to have a different subspecies of tigers. Uh, but unfortunately, when I was born, the tiger was uh, exactly at the, at the time that this uh, probably worse than, uh, well, much worse, apparently, than uh, the condition in uh, Sumatra now. Uh, so the tiger went extinct uh, just few years after I was born. So maybe when I was born, <laughs> there were still actually tiger there. And then uh, uh, I moved from uh, a place there uh, where I was born. There was, uh, you know, in the kind of like rural areas to a big city of Jakarta. It's like the capital of Indonesia that mm-hmm. uh, has like probably about 10 million of people at that time. So I lived there. I moved from that uh, childhood uh, uh, green places <laughs> to, you know, hustle bustle uh, city. The big city, yeah. Yes. So I kind of like missed uh, that moment of my childhood that uh, always surrounded by, you know, greeneries, uh, some uh, little wild places and so on. So when I... Uh, uh, about ready to go to university, the first thing that I've been thinking is that uh, I want to live and uh, work in places that uh, has such a, you know, like green and wild uh, that I can enjoy. So mm-hmm. that's well, when I decided to study biology uh, as, the, as my major. So I went to University of Indonesia, uh, which is in Jakarta. Well, actually, it, mm-hmm. uh, it has a campus also in Depok, which is not far from Jakarta, but uh, less than one hour uh, with either train or uh, bus or car, mm-hmm. if you like to drive. Uh, then I studied biology. I, I finished uh, my first degree. Uh, the, the first degree here takes about uh, six years to finish, which is like the normal uh uh, the normal length of study that include also field work actually I need to write kind of like dissertation but uh, s- a simple version uh, a bit different okay, from the cool. system in the US yeah mm-hmm. yeah so I studied so... actually I studied bird at that time in different island in Sulawesi okay uh, yeah Sulawesi by the way is uh, it's another amazing place in Indonesia as a biologist uh, I think uh, I at that time had a dream. Either I want to, I have to go to either Galapagos or Sulawesi, which both are equally okay. amazing. This is the place. I mean, Sulawesi is the place where uh, Wallace actually uh, visited. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Wallace, but uh, at at the same era, actually, Wallace and uh, Darwin actually went to different places, and then both actually independently kind of like found the theory of evolution. So this is really amazing place. Uh, wow. And then so I worked I for quite yeah. a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I worked for quite a bit. And then I studied, uh, I took my master in the UK, uh, studying forest fire, and then work again uh, on orangutan. And then I went back to uh, university, this time to, to the US for my PhD. And that's when I started uh, studying tigers in 2004. That's a little bit of my background. 
Sorry, wow, a bit that's long. A vi- <laughs> oh, oh, are you kidding me? I, I, I would, I want to go into all the different studies you did, including your honors thesis. <laughs> uh, No, but I think that it's really important because it's, to me, it's always fascinating and to our listeners about how people evolve to end up in what I would consider like a dream conservation job. And so, and quite clearly, there's lots of different paths to get there. And so... Did you always know that you wanted to work with tigers per se, or was it more just nature? Not really, actually. To be honest, uh, tiger uh, only came like few years after I, uh, oh, after uh, my master finished. So previously, mm-hmm. basically, I, uh, my, my intention was very simple, as I mentioned earlier. I just want to be able to travel to places that is still wild uh, right. and enjoy rural areas and so on that is still green. Uh, but then I think it was really good for me that uh, naturally I, I got the opportunity to study different uh, aspects of uh, of the nature. Uh, started with birds and then I feel like uh, I need to also understand the, uh, the vegetation. So I studied uh, vegetations. Uh, what is it called? Like uh, the effect of, uh, yeah, the ecology of the uh, of the tropical forest, especially mm-hmm. related to fire. Actually, it was kind of like accident at that time. In '97, there was a big uh, forest fire because of this El Nino. Then I thought, like, oh, this is a good opportunity for me to learn about uh, forest dynamics. And then after that, I also uh, involved in uh, various. Uh, conservation effort and surveys on large mammal and birds and I think it was a perfect time for me to start uh, studying tiger and you know understanding tiger uh, required the understanding of a very complex ecosystem because tiger is the epic predators that uh, you cannot just I mean well you can but uh, I think it will be easier if you understand the other aspect of the of the ecology like the prey and then what the prey eats uh, the plants and where the plant grows uh, the land the soil the geology you know all of those aspects uh, relate to tiger uh, so you, you will uh, have much better understanding and uh, easier to comprehend uh, of the tiger ecology if, if we understand uh, the component that uh, form the ecosystem in which the tiger live. Absolutely. It's a very, it's a circle of life. It's a very complex and everything, even though it might not seem, but everything from, like you said, the apex predator being the tiger to the grasses, to the trees, to the birds, to the microbes in the soil are all interconnected somehow. And if as biologists, if you don't understand the individual parts, it's, it's hard to understand the whole thing, I think. So, yeah. And now with that being said, how did you specifically get involved with the World Wildlife Fund and their conservation efforts to save the tiger? Yeah. Initially, I worked uh, with another organization for several years. Even my uh, master thesis was uh, supported at that time by uh, Wildlife Conservation Society, uh, mm-hmm. And then I also work uh, with Conservation International, so uh, 
uh, I've tried a uh, few of these uh, big uh, international NGOs and mm-hmm. uh, studying and conserving uh, different aspects of the wildlife. Uh, after uh, finishing my master and working uh, further for the orangutan at that time, uh, from 2001 to 2003, and then I was uh, starting to look uh, for a different opportunity, especially to uh, go to study. At that time, uh, WWF uh, offered this opportunity uh, in collaboration with Virginia Tech. Mm-hmm. Actually, an alumni uh, created this scheme very nicely, so I applied for that. Wonderful. And then I got the chance also uh, because I went to a conference in the U.S. So I visited the campus. It looks nice and talked to the people and I got accepted also. So I started uh, that work, which is part of WWF project uh, in collaboration with Virginia Tech. So it's a really nice setting that uh, that I went to and then I finished uh, my study and field work in 2011. Wow. And then after that, I come back to WWF, actually continuing and following up uh, my own recommendation of the of my of the dissertation, the you know from the findings of the tiger study that we have, we identified several priority places that need to be managed uh, in a better way. So mm-hmm. that is uh, what I'm still working on with uh, my team in Sumatra at the moment. Wonderful, and now to. Familiarize our listeners a little bit with with tigers. Can you briefly describe? You work with a Sumatran tiger, but can you describe a yes. little bit of the different subspecies of tigers and where they live? Yes, sure. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, Sumatran is uh, only one out of either eight or nine, depending on which taxonomy you use, uh, okay. of subspecies of tigers. Mm-hmm. So uh, we used to have three different subspecies of tigers uh, in Indonesia that include wow. the Sumatran, the Javan, and the Bali tigers. And the rest are the mainland tigers that uh, is considered to have different uh, subspecies from uh, the Malayan tiger in Malaysia, and then Indo-Chinese, and then Southern China, and then Amur in Russia, and some part of China. And there is also extinct one, the uh, Caspian tiger in the uh, Middle East. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then for sure, the biggest population is the uh, uh, Indian tiger, the Panthera tigris. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. But uh, recently, there is this study that actually clump uh, all of the uh, subspecies on the mainland to be considered as one uh, subspecies. Mm-hmm. And Sumatran remain to be the most unique uh, oh, type wow. of species. Even consider some publication even considered Sumatra should be considered as a different species. Wow! Because it has been separated for so long mm-hmm. from the the population in the mainland. Uh, it's isolated by this Malacca Strait, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, the ocean. Uh, so it has somehow evolved uh, uh, genetically adapted to this kind of. Uh, living on the uh, island and also on the equator, which is uh, quite different from the other places in the mainland. Wow. Wow. Okay. That's incredible. 
And since you've worked in the field researching tigers for so long, mm-hmm. do you have one a, a memorable moment or an encounter with a tiger that you'd like to share? Well, every encounter with tiger is always uh, memorable, <laughs> apparently. And unfortunately, it's not that many yet, despite my work for, uh, no, it's already 14 years. Well, I'm not always in the forest, uh, mm-hmm. but I only and uh, saw the tiger twice, and the entire team have only saw the tiger less than five times. Wow! But we believe that uh, the tiger saw us more often than than we do, especially in Sumatra. It's really hard to see tigers because the vegetation is very uh, dense, and the tiger has. Uh, we believe uh, basically evolved uh, by avoiding human because mm-hmm. the, the tiger is in, in some places has been considered a threat. So I think that the, the individuals that are not afraid of human, they're selected basically from the population that's not passing their gene. Mm-hmm. So that's how the tiger actually uh, if, uh, adapted and evolved in, in Sumatra. Wow. And, and with the Sumatran tiger, what is the est- I know it's critically endangered and it's been critically endangered for a long time, but what is the estimated population of the Sumatran tiger? Uh, population estimate is a very simple uh, question and always asked over and over again. <laughs> but actually, to, to explain it in a. Uh, you know, to make people really understand, sometimes it takes some time. Yeah, it's, it's not like a really straightforward. At the moment, like the easiest uh, answer that I can give you is by quoting this uh, most recent analysis, which is around mm-hmm. 600 individuals. But the figure, uh, like, you know, the confidence interval basically range from as low as 300, but can be as high as 1200. So the range is so huge. I mean, if uh, if you use the uh, lower confidence limit, which is also likely uh, because we don't know uh, the actual condition in many, many places. Surveying tiger is a really expensive thing. Uh, it takes weeks sometimes to just uh, place one camera in the remote area. And you need, uh, I mean, to get a precise estimate, uh, you need to sample as many as possible and getting sample of tigers, especially in Sumatra. I calculated uh, my study, I compared to one study in uh, central India, for example, it takes more than 50 times of effort to get uh, the same uh, number of image of tiger, for example. So that's how how hard it is actually to get uh, really a precise estimate of the of the tiger population. That's why like the figure has been, you know, quite uh, wide uh, in terms of the confidence interval. And now tigers all across Asia have a lot of pressures with habitat and poaching and climate change. But more specifically with a Sumatran tiger, what, why is its population so low and what pressures, what are the current pressures that it's facing? Oh, to begin with, as an apex predator, uh, tigers will uh, or usually live in a low density because it requires uh, a large amount of prey 
uh, and not just any prey. Uh, tigers as an ambush predators, they require prey that are large enough, so it's actually worth it for the tigers to hunt. And uh, in average, it has been calculated that uh, it takes about 500 uh, prey uh, as the size of deer to sustain one population of tiger in, in one area. Uh, that's why, like, uh, if uh, an area uh, is not big enough to accommodate tigers, then it cannot sustain the tiger, and that's what caused the the density uh, is quite low in in Sumatra, uh, and also in in many other places, depending on the prey. Uh, but the tiger also uh, receive in addition uh, many pressures from the habitat. Uh, conversion for example they also heavily poached because uh, many people still believe that tiger parts are, uh, can actually be used for many purposes you know like as uh, traditional medicines as uh, uh, tools for magic <laughs> you know so many different kinds sometimes also as a pride people still keep uh, uh, the stuffed animals in their house and so on although it is illegal actually to do that but uh, you know some people still still doing it anyway. Uh, some people also want to keep the cups, you know. So those kind of things that uh, actually lead to uh, the tigers to become very, very uh, threatened. And also occasionally in some places, uh, tigers involved in conflict with human. Uh, this relate to the perceptions oftentimes of the people around it, uh, especially at the moment, the movement of people from uh, different places uh, even people who not used to live in tiger habitat, they now live next to the tiger habitat, cutting forests, converting it to plantation, and so on. So the conflict uh, has been escalating also in some places that uh, give further pressures to, to the tiger. So basically, there are three main threats to tigers, uh, which is the habitat loss and degradation and fragmentation. And then second, uh, the poaching. And last is the, the conflict with human. And recently, the past 10 years, we have experienced a massive increase in poaching. And we believe that is now actually uh, the biggest threat to tigers, especially in Sumatra. Wow. And But in Sumatra, they're legally protected, right? Poaching is obviously illegal. Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, the the uh, tigers are legally protected in, in Indonesia. Unfortunately, though, uh, the other subspecies are not protected. That's uh, something that we've been trying to propose also to the government because uh, unless you protect all uh, subspecies of tiger, it will be difficult to enforce the law. Sometimes people can say that, oh, this is not Sumatran tiger. Right. So, so I think it, uh, it will be uh, much simpler if we can revise the law to protect all tigers because all are endangered anyway. Right. So yeah. Sumatra is even critically endangered. Mm -hmm. yeah. So those are the things that we, we also work on. In addition to study on the ground, we also need to work on the policy, to work on the uh, legal protections and so on. So many other works that we need to do also in addition to study. And yes, Sunarto, that actually leads into my next question. What, with your work to conserve the tiger at WWF, what does an average day look like for you uh, when you're 
in the field looking for tigers. Um, you mentioned you use camera traps and you'd mentioned uh, that you do a lot of hiking. So if you could maybe just describe what it looks like when you're out there looking for tigers. Sure. Uh, basically, my uh, daily uh, work depends on uh, where I am. Basically, probably I can divide into three different uh, categories of my activity. <laughs> One is when I'm in the field uh, doing the study uh, and you know monitoring the tigers. Uh, second is when uh, I coordinate with uh, the stakeholders, the partners, basically uh, some meetings. And third is when I'm in the office. With and me, the, <laughs> talking with me. With you. <laughs> no, I think this is, I consider the second, like coordination and, uh, you know, awareness, ah, yes. outreach. Okay. I think, yeah. yeah. So uh, when I first uh, started my Tiger work, actually, I spent most of my time in the field with my team, uh, training the team, also setting up camera trap, testing this method, testing that method especially when I did my uh, uh, PhD. Uh, but then uh, uh, the past few years, I've been uh, required a lot to, you know, coordinate with uh, the government, coordinate with partners. Uh, that is uh, exactly what, what are needed uh, to conserve Tiger. You just cannot, uh, you know, keep on studying and not communicating your result of your study. <laughs> and also uh, developing awareness, promoting awareness and engaging is really important engaging everyone basically tiger conservation requires the support from everybody from the government from the corporate from uh, anyone uh, so uh, i got to spend also uh, spend quite a bit of time also on that uh, that has been like my uh, you know combination of uh, uh, works that i've been doing so far and you mentioned that the resources to study these sumatran tigers is takes a lot more time and energy as compared to maybe studying the different subspecies in India. Is this because of the remoteness of the location and the denseness of the forest? Because you, you told me, you mentioned that you might have to hike for like a week or two to, to find a camera trap. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I have visited uh, quite a bit of places uh, across Asia or, or in Tiger Range countries including like Russia, India, Malaysia, Thailand. And yes, uh, Sumatra is quite different <laughs> uh, in that uh, our forests, uh, especially the one that remains now, uh, are mainly in the hilly areas. There are still some in the lowland, but uh, not that many. And the infrastructure until the past few years still uh, uh very limited yeah. so most of the tiger habitat in sumatra are not accessible by road although there are some road that cross uh, the national park in few places but there there is uh, a relatively uh, few compared to like the park in for example india that you can do safari in many places uh, people uh, set up camera traps uh, by using uh, vehicles and then walk maybe one or Two days, but in our place in Sumatra, there are few places that you can. Uh, yeah, it takes even like uh, one or two weeks just to reach uh, the place, and there are even some places that we can never reach until now because of the you know this constraint 
probably we need to have like helicopters to drop us and so on. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Or a special techniques of expedition, basically. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's, that's huge commitment. That to, have and, yeah. yeah. To walk, walk for a week or two just to check a camera trap is pretty incredible. But the yeah. camera traps are obviously a huge resource for you to know how the animals are moving. Yeah, exactly. Uh, camera trap uh, provide us uh, so really uh, nice tools uh, to understand tiger. So actually, our understanding on tiger has improved very, very significantly since the use of camera traps, and the technique has been developing very, very rapidly. And yeah, we keep on exploring and try to uh, always follow the the development on uh, on the use of this technique. And uh, the great thing also about camera trap is that you are able to record uh, the image and even the sound. Uh, of the animals that has been extremely useful to you know uh, use as a communication materials uh, that is one thing also that we've been uh, spending quite a bit of our time to share these uh, stories uh, videos uh, of the camera and we really love it that we get uh, really nice response from the public uh, compared to for example well of course we also write papers but <laughs> only few people can understand <laughs> Uh, if you only rely on uh, writing papers, uh, yes. so we have to combine both. Well, even me, I I I could access the papers, but I I like to watch the the camera traps better. <laughs> It's a little bit more <laughs> interactive. You can really see the size and all of that. And and you mentioned that the tigers when you're when you're out hiking for days in the national parks in uh, central Sumatra, and it really paints a an incredible visual as how green and Like you mm -hmm. said, it, the, the upper altitudes of it is not in the lowlands and very dense, dense forests. But are all the Sumatran tigers inside a national park or are some outside national parks just on like rangeland yeah. or private property? Uh, there are still quite big portion that are outside of national park. Actually, that remains uh, unprotected. Okay. So you know we we categorize our forest area uh, into uh, different status in terms of the management. Uh, so there are uh, conservation areas like national park, nature reserve, wildlife reserve. Mm -hmm. uh, outside of that, there is a protection forest that. Uh, Uh, basically protected mainly for uh, keeping the water set uh, secure. Uh, but the biggest chunk of uh, the forest in Indonesia uh, or forest land in Indonesia are actually production forests. And this belongs to or managed by concession for many different purposes. Some are, uh, you know, production of the natural timber. Basically, you do some selective cutting, but others basically are clear cut and to be planted with uh, uh, totally different kind of uh, trees like acacia for example mm -hmm. for pop and pepper mm. yeah so uh, and the tiger can occasionally still use uh, those kind of uh, areas that is exactly uh, my study was about uh, try to explore uh, how uh, actually tigers uh, survive if they do in these uh, different kinds of uh, land cover types uh, across Sumatra. And then the, one of the recommendations is that actually uh, even areas outside of protected area, like outside of National Park, occasionally can still be used by tigers. That's why uh, 
engaging this uh, concession, this private uh, companies, businessmen are also very, very important if we want to save tigers in addition to uh, saving the core area, which is the conservation areas like uh, national parks and uh, right. wildlife reserve. Yes. And so, I mean, that's why I just love the work by the World Wildlife Fund. Not only do they work to, of course, conserve the species, which is important and understand its population dynamics, but you also do a lot of work to conserve their habitat and to figure out how to work with, like you said, the landowners and the private entities yeah. that are, yeah. you know, that, that where the tigers inhabit outside of the protected parks. And yes. so what... Um, and we, in, uh, in fact, develop, uh, we, uh, after, you know, uh, communicating with these business sectors, uh, we uh, identified the gap, uh, like uh, the understanding from the business sector at that time was uh, was not uh, at that level that we, we need to convince them and also provide them with uh, some guidance. And one of my uh, publication with uh, my colleague is that uh, this guideline for uh, private sectors on how they can actually contribute in tiger conservation, in managing their land and beyond, not just uh, directly managing the habitat, but, you know, business sector can actually contribute a lot in uh, conserving tigers. Right. For example, like providing funding if they're not operating within tiger habitat. Mm -hmm. so there, there are many, many things that they can actually uh, contribute also. And how is your team in the World Wildlife Fund, how are they working or what are some of the solutions to help reduce tiger-human conflicts? Yeah. Uh, I probably should first mention that uh, I work with uh, several different types of teams. Okay, And on the ground, we have this uh, tiger monitoring teams that basically work mainly by using this camera as uh, one of the tools that uh, that we use. And we also have a protection unit, tiger protection unit, working together closely with the government. Well, every work actually is being coordinated closely with government, but especially this uh, protection because uh, protection requires authority, special authority, and uh, that belongs to the government. And yeah, we work closely and uh, support the government on that. Uh, and also we have uh, the team who address uh, conflict, uh, human wildlife conflict, especially tigers. We also have uh, the team who work on promoting awareness and education. We even have team who engage corporate. We also have team uh, that do a partnership so yeah, I'm I'm quite lucky as uh, as the organization we have quite uh, uh, a number of teams that can actually handle different kind of issues. So related to the human wildlife conflict, especially human tiger conflict, uh, myself and my team have actually been collecting uh, the information on uh, the conflict incidents to try to understand what is the conflict profile, what is the pattern, and so on. Because long time ago, uh, people think that you know the solution immediately. But looking at this database that we have collected, uh, I am convinced that uh, many of these conflict incidents actually could have been prevented, could have been avoided 
and uh, I learned that actually understanding of the people, perception of the people is really important. And that's why uh, after looking at this uh, pattern and studying or investigating this database, our focus on uh, human wildlife conflict uh, mitigation was more on the prevention aspect. For sure, we also involved in the response because that's how we uh, learn uh, even further on the details of every conflict incidents. But uh, when whenever there is no incidents, we our team keep on uh, collecting this information and try to develop uh, tools like awareness tools to try to educate people, to try to share with people and connecting one place to the other to basically like doing share learning because oftentimes uh, the knowledge are out there uh, on or practiced by the community by the people who live on the ground not we are not uh, we might consider ourselves expert but the real expert are there uh, on the ground absolutely the that's a great point right we'll yeah yeah we live side by side uh, with the tiger so we got to learn from them instead of we uh, teaching them right all the time yeah uh, so that's how uh, how things happen basically we just facilitate the learning the exchange uh, to happen and uh, with that uh, we believe that we have uh, contributed in the reduction of uh, human uh, tiger conflict in in several places and we hope that we can expand this kind of work uh, that uh, hopefully in the future there will be no more uh, victims, yeah, no more uh, casualties of conflict. You know, a negative interaction might still happen, but uh, we just need to manage it. Right. So conflict has to be managed, and it is actually manageable. Absolutely. Well, and then, and then, as each generation that you work with and work alongside, the next generation coming up, that'll be more ingrained and in, yeah, as far to reduce conflict as well. So. That's really amazing work. And what are some of the solutions that your team has to help reduce tiger poaching? Uh, to address tiger poaching, uh, similarly, we also uh, first try to understand what actually the driver of the poaching, mm -hmm. right? uh, how the poaching is being operated you know the network of the poaching so poaching are driven by demand and demand oftentimes come from big cities like where i, I live now or in jakarta or even maybe in other countries right and then this involves oftentimes like corrupted official uh, or even like uh, people who just want to make money or people who doesn't want to enforce the law mm -hmm you know, various things and or local people who uh, have no alternative job, they're being approached by people from outside. Can you uh, find a tiger for me and so on? So uh, we kind of like have a quite good understanding now on how poaching and illegal wildlife trade and demand uh, for tiger part operate. And also prey part, I mean, uh, the prey animals also, because tigers are threatened not only because of the directly, uh, they're being directly poached uh, or hunted, but also the hunting of the prey. The prey availability uh, being depleted is also another right. issue. Uh, 
so we try to uh, uh, well we implemented what we call the, an integrated uh, tiger protection so we have three prong for that so first is uh, we maximize and try to improve the effectiveness of the patrolling of the tiger in their habitat that's the first thing in the core area mm-hmm. outside of that uh, we deals with uh, the traders so we basically want to break the chains of uh, illegal wildlife trade that typically happen from uh, nearest village uh, of the tiger habitat all the way to the big cities the airport uh, seaport different countries and so on okay and the third is to address the demand also we do a lot of uh, behavior change uh, campaign okay. uh, engagement and so on so those three things that we we try to implement in an integrated manner otherwise if you only work on one you cannot address the the poaching you have to uh, you work together with many different partners uh, and make it in synergy that's uh, we believe how poaching can be addressed and as i mentioned earlier uh, also uh, policy is also very important and policy related to all of this and the commitment from the government is really important that's why we work closely with the government trying to uh, support them with any way we can uh, to strengthen the protection we work with uh, not just talking about law actually when we talk about protection of tigers we also work with even religious leaders in indonesia uh, they're uh, believing i mean like our uh, faith base is really important in determining uh, people mm-hmm. action that's why we we've been working together with religious leader with community leaders uh, to also uh, promote the awareness and the behavior change uh, toward supporting tigers well and i think for a lot of our listeners that are animal enthusiasts or animal lovers and obviously you being a wildlife biologist and conservationist of course saving the tiger the sumatran tiger is what we need to do like it's not even a question and clearly the world wildlife fund is engaged your your team and your staff the world wildlife fund is engaged in so many different efforts like trying to figure out tiger biology and ecology, where they live, how they move, how many of them they are, to how to prevent habitat loss, to how to stop poaching, to how to help educate the locals and reduce the human-tiger conflict. But for the naysayers out there, or for people that maybe just don't love the tiger the way that we do, so Sonarto, why should we save the tiger? And how do you get people excited about tiger conservation in Sumatra uh, that maybe wouldn't because they're having either conflict or they don't know a lot about tigers? Yep, uh, that is uh, a question that I've been asked over and over again. Also, when we deal with conflict, for example, there are oftentimes come this question like, which one is more important? Is it human or tigers? Yeah, unfortunately, there are still uh, many people who uh, who don't see the relation between tigers, between nature and uh, our mm-hmm. life. Uh, saving tiger actually is not just uh, t- 
talking about saving the, the animal per se for sure tiger by itself is an amazing animal that uh, i think it deserves to be a conserve but uh, beyond that uh, there is this saying that saving tigers saving so much more uh, tiger is just uh, in this case an, an indication or uh, or uh, what is it called like uh, it, it's a surrogate of the nature that uh, we really depend very badly on if, if the the life support system which is forests and uh, water that we depend on actually the, where are where the tiger live in the case of sumatra so by saving tiger you actually save this life support system and talking about uh, sumatra maybe people in the us will feel like oh sumatra is too far why do we care but uh, you know our life is now uh, it's really totally connected. You, everything that we consume at the moment uh, is very likely uh, coming from somewhere else. Uh, I believe like uh, many products in the US also come from Sumatra and the other way around, things that we use here also, uh, some uh, coming from the US. So that kind of thing, like we, we cannot separate anymore our, uh, our life from the nature and we really even more uh, increasingly depend on the nature and saving tiger actually is about saving nature that we really depend on. Yeah, I mean, you you hit the nail on the head, exactly. I mean, saving the tiger is saving so much more. It's not just about the tiger, it's about everything in nature that surrounds the tiger and we're all globally collect, connected now. So even though, unfortunately, I don't have the beautiful highland forests of Sumatra in my backyard, here I sit talking to you halfway across the world, looking at a video, having fun, we're having coffee together and talking about tigers. So <laughs> we are very... Hey, your coffee might come from Sumatra. It might, also, right? exactly, exactly. <laughs> so we are very interconnected and, and the tiger is part of that. And soon... Sonarto, you've been doing tiger conservation for about 14 years, and I'm sure in your career you've had obviously some great successes with your team um, at World Wildlife Fund and through some of the other conservation organizations that you've had. But I also, I'm sure you've had some setbacks because because of poaching and and government officials maybe not following through with policy and things like that. So as a biologist and conservationist, what keeps you motivated each day to keep fighting this good fight for the Sumatran tigers? Yeah. Well, yeah, a lot of setback actually that I feel like, uh, you know, working in Sumatra in 2004, setting up camera trap, going back to the same spot and find out that the forest, uh, where you used to put the camera tab is gone within a month. That is, uh, you know, it's not like uh, a very rare things for me and really, really sad to see that. And uh, even the, our camera trap, many have been lost also, you know, and we believe by poachers and encroachers that are not happy uh, when we work on the, this kind of uh, aspect that People might think that this is threatening their livelihood. 
uh, they don't see the bigger picture uh, but uh, on the other hand I'm also quite lucky to be able to have the bigger picture to see that uh, you know uh, good things are happening in here and there uh, even like uh, in very difficult place uh, just like uh, I just came back from Nepal uh, three days ago actually and this is my third visit uh, this this country is very challenging in terms of uh, uh, the economy might not be as good as Indonesia, but they're doing really, really well in terms of tiger conservation. They can do that uh, with strong commitment mm -hmm. from the government, with the support from community. The community feel like they have the share of uh, the benefit of conserving tigers. So that kind of model, uh, even in Sumatra, we also have uh, to some degree in some uh, smaller areas, uh, smaller spots, smaller cases. Uh, some indication of successes that uh, actually give me more uh, motivation and uh, things can be done actually what we need uh, especially in Sumatra at the moment is actually upscaling of this uh, small successes small uh, role models uh, to make it bigger to uh, to take up at the, at the right scale and if that happened I believe that uh, tiger conservation and tiger recovery uh, it's, it's not something impossible. It's something that is achievable, actually. Well, and that is hopeful news, and especially for you and your staff that are there on the ground and fighting this good fight every day for the Sumatran tiger or for all tigers, like you said. But what can the average person do that doesn't have interaction with stakeholders and locals uh, or government agencies? What what could somebody do here in the U.S. or in the U.K. or in Australia that is, you know, listening to this podcast but maybe doesn't have access to come visit you in in Java and uh, Sumatra? <laughs> do you have any advice for us? Sure. Uh, as I said earlier, everyone actually can uh, either become the threat to the tiger or contribute to tiger conservation. The choice is yours. The choice is us, or is ours, yeah. Uh, and I can show to anyone the every little things that you can do uh, to help uh, conserve tiger. I think at the moment, uh, this time, most people use social media. And with social media posts, you can help tigers. With social media click, you can help tigers. If you go to groceries uh, by thinking about what you're going to buy, you can save tigers or you can trap tigers. Uh, it's The choice is actually ours, yeah, I mean like ours. Um, yeah, so many things that we can do. Uh, if you're a student, you can write a story about tiger, you can research on tiger. If you're a journalist, you can write about tigers. If you're a businessman, you can contribute. If you're rich, you can contribute with your money uh, to help support uh, uh, tiger protection on the ground. Uh, anyone can can do something uh, for tigers. And actually doing something for tigers is doing something good for ourselves also, as I said earlier. Absolutely, yes. And now for the listeners that are interested and would like to learn more about your research with tigers and the incredible work you do at the World Wildlife Fund to help conserve and protect them, how can people learn more about 
tigers and your work? The easiest way is just follow our social media, probably. Uh, we use uh, Facebook, we use Twitter, we use uh, Instagram. We also have websites. Uh, if you Google WWF, uh, WWF, basically, you can also see uh, many different mm -hmm. WWF offices. In Indonesia, our website is www.id. Okay. Uh, and you can also uh, use the social media uh, to find me or find the organization. Wonderful. Yes. Well, we'll and we'll put some links on our yeah. show notes too for our so listeners, to so uh, we can have more tiger fans, tiger followers, which was always good. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Yes. Like you said, support. just yeah. you know, yeah. people probably before listening to this podcast maybe didn't know that there's eight or nine subspecies of tigers or um, or that the Sumatran tiger is critically endangered with numbers. We don't know the specific numbers, but very low in, in the, you know. Yeah. And that they and can they be can, safe also. And they and can, they be, can recovered. be recovered. And there's also. already great people on the ground working their tails off literally hiking for uh, a week or two in the in the jungles. We are also having a lot of fun, though, that I didn't know. Yeah, oh, yet. I'm sure. <laughs> Maybe for some of you who are interested and have the time, you can also visit us, join our team on the ground. Well, that's, that what, that's what's going to actually lead into my next question is, so for us, if there are any students or volunteers or people that have an interest in animal conservation or tiger conservation or if some of the listeners out there have lots of money and are able to travel to uh, Sumatra to see tigers or learn more about them, what advice do you have? What's the? I cannot promise to see. Well, tigers definitely, in yeah, because you've only seen them a couple times, right? Yes, but you can at least uh, visit. There, I'm sure, of course, uh, Sumatra is uh, very yeah. diverse with other wildlife there, as is Java and Indonesia in general. So yes. any advice for any yes. budding young yeah. scientists or zookeepers or animal conservationists? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can explore again uh, through our website and social media and see uh, different kinds of activities that uh, we do. And then if you're interested in one of those, uh, or even if you have ideas on things that we might not uh, put up there yet, you can suggest it and then you can ask us uh, and see if we can arrange something uh, together to uh, do something on the ground for the tigers. Absolutely. Well, and definitely, Sunarto, I will be staying in touch with you and wanting to continue this journey and these conversations uh, about tigers and hearing amazing stories about your travels and where you're going and also hopefully learning about more exciting news about how People are coming together to save the tigers and saving so much more. So I want to sincerely thank you for your time and putting up with my technical difficulties <laughs> earlier before the interview. But it was awesome. We got to know each other better and uh, became fast friends. And yes. <laughs> yeah, it's just been such a pleasure learning about you and about your journey to help save the Sumatran tiger and all tigers for that matter, because they all need our help. It's not just the Sumatran tiger as well. And so for our listeners, if you want to learn more about Sunarto and his work, check out our show notes on our webpage. Just Google All Creatures Podcast and you'll find us there. 
And yes, uh, save a tiger, vote with your dollar. A lot of choices you make on social media or at the grocery store uh, will help protect the tiger and help save them. So thank you very much for listening. And thank you, Sonarto. Let's stay in touch, though, my new friend. Thank you so much. Yes, sure. Let's stay in touch. Thank you. Thank you, Angie. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.